This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, he didn't lose his mind, he was acting! Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show. It's putting the humanities back into science fiction. I am Geffen, and as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! This week we are back to the better, but still not great, episodes of season three. Yeah, yeah, in comparison, yeah, this is like, holy spokes, this is so much better, but, you know, compared to other episodes, like, eh, it's just kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very middle of the road. Yeah, some stuff liked about it, some, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this episode is called The Enterprise Incident, and it is the second ever appearance of the Romulans, which is kind of where we get a lot more Romulan stuff. They aren't just a weird antagonist group that we don't really see. You actually get interaction with them this time. You know, it isn't a uh, submarine warfare for, uh, engagement. Yeah, though it opens some... Plot holes. Plot holes. Plot holes. <laughs> we could poke at them later, yes. But yeah, there's some, some things like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Since they don't care. I don't know. I kind of respect that kind of TV making a little more now. I always was in the, oh my God. But in this episode, they said this thing. But three episodes ago, they said a different thing. Oh my God. But I, there's something I kind of like of, we're not going to freaking worry about it. Who knows when this I'm is not, set? Yeah. You don't know. You <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's okay to just let things sort of go with the flow. And, uh, you know, if when you're having a very episodic sort of uh, series, like what Star Trek, the original series, very much is, you know, having, you know, uh, continuity is more of a suggestion than a hard, fast rule or hard, hard rule. Though well, this episode was written by DC Fontana. Sweet. Um, unfortunately, we have some bad news about her. I know. As of this recording, which is, I think, the day after. Um, I think, yeah. Uh, one or two days, yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, DC Fontana just died this week as of when we're recording this, which is very sad. You all are going to be hearing this a month or two out from that. But right now, it's you know just happened. And uh, so I, I like to say, you know, uh, DC also knows Dorothy. Uh, you know, you're uh, you know, a fantastic person. You, you did some uh, fantastic works. You're a real tra- trailblazer, and you will be missed. Would truly, definitely not have modern star trek without her yes it's a good thing this episode isn't all sad we also have two guest stars this episode uh joanne joanne levine linville linville joanne linville is playing the romulan commander Mm -hmm. unnamed (laughs) Yes, she has. She does supposedly say her name to Spock at one point, but we don't hear it. So she has been in quite a few things, including the nineteen uh, seventies A Star Is Born, several episodes of Bonsai, I Spy, uh, Invaders, Hawaii Five O, Twilight Zone, Dynasty, the FBI, Empire, Bus Stop. So, so she's been around doing lots of lots of stuff at this time i think she it's she uh, didn't stop acting till a few years ago so doing a lot of stuff currently in her 90s too so keep kicking ass the other guest star is jack d 
Donner, who plays Sub-Commander Tal. Tal, I like that name. Similarly, just did a lot of uh, character actor work in you know this time period, some voiceovers later on, still making things as of last year. Oh, died very recently. Died yeah. this yeah, year he also. Died this year. Yeah, died he, this he's, year. He's been tons of stuff. Um, General Hospital, uh, various other Star Treks, uh, Reno 911, in fact. Um, Baywatch, uh, yeah, and so on. <laughs> Man from Uncle, get smart. There are a lot of other Romulans running around. They are the only two with speaking lines, basically. Yeah, you know, I guess there's also the like the one guy that gets a fist fight with Kirk, but you know that happens. Yeah, that's it, every episode. All right, let's jump in. It's a lot of episode. Kirk's being a jerk to everyone. In fact, uh, it's enough of he's enough of a jerk face that uh, McCoy's like, I have to make a log, and I don't make logs, so here, have a medical log about this. Yeah, McCoy is commenting on his general horribleness, and now he needs freaking rest or something. He's being short-tempered, telling other people that his orders are dumb. He's just all over, just like being complete jerk face. So he's meeting to the bridge crew for five minutes to set all this up and then immediately orders them to set a course for the Romulan neutral zone. As soon as they enter, they are immediately surrounded by Romulan ships that are Klingon ships. Which is confusing, but okay. I guess they only had the one model. Yeah, well, the interesting (laughs) thing that I had to... I had to look this up because this is weird. Like two Klingon ships show up, obviously Klingon ships. They look like Klingon ships and they go, oh, reports say that the Romulans are using Klingon designs. And then the one Romulan ship that we saw before shows up Uh, in uh, play order in the order that they showed these episodes on TV. This is the first time we've seen a Klingon ship. Really? Like it's hard to remember because we're very used to this being the design of the Klingon ship, but we haven't seen a Klingon ship really show up before. Uh, I thought at least uh, you know, like uh, one of them was in trouble uh, with tribbles there. I can't remember if they actually showed the ship itself or not, or if we're just remembering that show up in uh, DS Nine. Because hmm. I was reading this and it says that these models didn't appear until like three or four episodes later. In uh, in a Klingon related episode that they filmed first, but well, it didn't might play. be a case of you know similar design but different model sort mm-hmm. of thing. So this is the first time we're seeing these particular Klingon designs, but they filmed it in the different order, which is why they have to explain that they're Klingon designs. So uh, you know, this is the point where we uh, you know point to the, you know look at the camera and says, "Does everybody got that?" Now, since the ships appeared out of nowhere. Bot goes, oh, the Romulans must have some sort of cloaking device that's Wait, different the, the, than the one they had before. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess they could sort of detect through it, sort of, but it was very sort of a, yeah, we got a weird echo and we can sort of follow that, but it doesn't look like a ship, but we know it's them. But now you don't got even that, so. Yeah, so now cloaking devices are new. That's fine. I don't care. A reset button. <laughs> They're contacted by Subcommander Tal, who gives them one hour to decide whether or not they're going to surrender or get blown up. That's oddly a, a long amount of time to think about your death. Kirk spends a bunch of time yelling at everyone, going over their limited options, which are basically to fight them and die, surrender and die, or scuttle the ship and die. All of these sound like terrible options. Um, 
I'm going to pick the one where we die, but we also like are spiteful about it. How about that? McCoy points out that this is very, very definitely and inarguably Kirk's fault and gets yelled at for it. He's not wrong, Kirk. Come on. <laughs> Tall invites Spock and Kirk aboard to discuss things personally with their commander, as well as sending over two Romulans to the Enterprise as a hostage exchange. I don't know. These Romulans are being weirdly, like, fair. Super nice. Maybe they're not as bad as we thought. Kirk and Spock are brought to meet the commander, who's a woman! So, you, know, you know, I guess surprising for the 60s, but, you know, these days, like, yeah. She separates the two of them and interrogates Kirk, who claims that they had a instrument malfunction that led them into the neutral zone. She doesn't buy it, brings in Spock, who, as a Vulcan, can't lie, and initially just refuses to answer the question, which is like, yep, something's up here, because he won't even answer. I'm pleading the fifth for my entire crew. But later, when the commander threatens to torture Kirk because she knows she won't get anything out of Spock, Spock then reveals that Kirk was acting alone and isn't in his right mind. And that neither the crew or the Federation are implicated in this. Kirk just did it all on his lonesome. So uh, Kirk's to blame for all this madness and because he's apparently lost his mind or something, I guess. And he's just angry and irritable. He's going to get everyone killed. He's going to take you all down with, with me. Ha 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 ha. Kirk starts yelling about how Spock's a traitor. And, you know, even though he's not. Yeah. It's like, I'm just telling him what's up, Kirk. What's up with you? Yeah, Kirk's just angry. Very angry. Continuing to be angry. He gets hauled off by the guards. As happens. The commander tries to convince Scotty to surrender the ship. Uh, but... Oh, it's Scotty. He's he's like, hell no on a good day. <laughs> but, you know, since it's all Kirk's fault, they'll let the crew go if they give them the ship. That's fine. You know, you just have to go to uh, this one outpost and we'll make sure you get home eventually. Maybe. Uh, Scotty tells them to blow it out their cloaking device. Good on you, Scotty. <laughs> she spends a lot of time flirting with Spock, who seems pretty receptive, all things considered. And she claims that he'd be happier with Romulans since they're, you know, distant relatives and that living among humans who are racist and horrible, he doesn't get like a fair shake or promotions or other things. She's kind of got a point. You're kind of stuck in the same position for apparently, you know, better point part of a decade here. And well, uh, your prospects going forward are kind of similar, actually. Hmm. Is this is this actually something that they would use to recruit spies in the 60s? Because if the like if the USSR or something came to America and was like, hey, you know how everyone here is racist? We're not going to do that. Join us. Well, that might work have worked better if a lot of the people that were well in the positions in the government were, you know, if they are uh, being affected by uh, you know uh, racism, that might be responsible. Uh, you know, responsive to that some, such message. The thing is, they're mostly white. That's so, true. <laughs> yeah. So they probably weren't actually victims of it because of the racist system as it was. So. so we get to see Kirk being thrown into the Romulan brig, where he throws himself against the force field, which I guess wasn't good for him because they have to call McCoy over to make sure he's not going to die now. This is like the the force fields the the Cardassians used to use. You know, just like, yeah, if you touch it, you just sort of die. So don't touch it. But I don't know what's there. What gives? <laughs> yeah, that seems like a bad plan. Yes. Using force fields for the jail cells always seemed like a bad idea in the first place. I guess it lets you see that they're still in there. 
Yeah. Huh? But that's like your fail state for that is the power goes out and then all of your jails break. Well, I guess maybe if like the ship's being torn apart and, uh, you know, the the prisoners might be able to survive if they're in a totally sealed container. Uh, you you may, maybe to to spite them, yeah, you you do want the, the the force fields to fail, so they'll get sucked out into space. McCoy manages to stabilize Kirk, but says he's mentally unsound. Yeah, it seems it seems legit. Now that he's admitted that, Spock's in command, and he orders them to surrender to the Romulans, which oh no. outrages Kirk, who lunges at him, and Spock grabs his head, going, "Oh no, I've used the Vulcan death grip." McCoy hmm. goes, yep, Kirk's hmm. dead. Well, uh, I guess Spock is, is in charge. That means I only have a few more people to kill before I'm in charge, thinks McCoy. The Romulans let them take Kirk's body back, where Nurse Chapel discovers that he's actually alive. It's not a very good death grip, then. Yeah, so now she's conscripted into helping McCoy do some quick surgery. Wait, wait, McCoy, why are you taking out his appendix right now? It's just what they did, then. <laughs> if you lived this long and still have an appendix, something's wrong. <laughs> Maybe this is why he's gone gone nutty. Hmm. He's angry because his appendix is about to burst. And he doesn't want to like admit he's in pain. <laughs> Clearly, this is what's going on. Meanwhile, the commander insists that Spock join her for dinner. Um, okay. Um, I don't think he has much of a choice because he's your prisoner. On the way, Spock sees a big ominous red door, and they go, "No, you can't go through the big ominous red door. Never mind that. Come eat." Well, this ominous red door is either something important or, well, we don't know what the society, you know, what Romulans do in their in their free time here. It might just be some sort of sex dungeon. They go to her quarters, they eat, they talk, they flirt a lot. She changes into something more comfortable. Now, is this the point where there's the finger touching? Uh, I think that's later, but yeah, there's weird finger touching. Yeah, it's, it's, it's similar to what uh, Sarek did with his wife, but a little more involved. Back from the Enterprise, Scotty gets called down to sick bay to see Romulan Kirk. Dun dun dun! He requests Scotty get him one of the Romulan officer uniforms, and Spock will give him the coordinates to give aboard. But Spock is otherwise occupied. This is all the finger touching. Oh yes, yes, yes. He's um, um indisposed at that moment. Kirk gets impatient with their spy mission and beams on board anyway. It's like, I know I might randomly die, but I'm bored. Eh, uh, you know, it's hopefully I don't, like, appear right in front of a bunch of guards or, you know, inside a bulkhead or, you know, upside down in the antimatter reactor, you know. Spock later convinces the commander to go change, and this is when he gets the chance to tell Kirk that he could come on board now, and he goes, I'm already here. Oh, oh okay, never mind then. <laughs> oh, that's fine. There's a big red door. That's where the cloaking device is. Go. However, this transmission gets detected by Subcommander Tal. Oh, uh, good on him. He's very competent then. Wait a moment. Scott, Scotty, you're in danger. There's somebody competent here. He comes in and interrupts the commander's makeout session. And now Cots box immediately surrenders. Uh, very responsible of him, I guess. He does this to give Kirk time to knock out the guard with one of their, like, look over there things. Okay, maybe, maybe not everyone on this ship is competent here. <laughs> He also gets inside, finds the cloaking device, unhooks it, and immediately beams back to the Enterprise. That was really easy. Yeah, so, so they got themselves a cloaking device. Scotty immediately begins to install it on their ship. Meanwhile, the Romulan commander is really pissed, and Spock's being all calm and Vulcan-y and asks when they're going to execute him. Well, uh, 
in a few minutes, I guess. He also invokes his right of final statement, which is, I guess, something that they're allowed to do where they can record a 20-minute long statement. Uh, A.K.A. a filibuster. While he's doing this, Scotty's installing the cloaking device, mostly. Uh, Chekhov finally finds Spock on board, and then they beam him aboard. That was also easy. Not before the commander grabs him, also being beamed aboard. Mm, Whoops. Um, Well, I guess we got uh, the two prisoners in the brig. We got the the commander. We got Spock. uh, We got Romulan uh, Kirk. Um, There's a lot of Romulans around here today. A lot of people with pointed ears. Hmm. Kirk orders them to run. They don't get shot. They, They just leave. (laughs) <laughs> this was an option. Like this was an option the entire time. <laughs> yes. How about we just go? Okay. Well, let's, let's take off. All right. So okay, they're pursuing, but oh, we're still ahead by a little bit. So right. They try to cloak to get away. It's not working. Scotty gives it a good kick, and then it is working. Then they get away. <laughs> and you know, just slight ch- course change. We can avoid them entirely. And now we're going off uh, back to the Federation. Everything's good. Spock takes the commander to confinement, lamenting that all they wanted was the cloaking device, not capturing her. And they could have been in love, if not for all the being on opposite sides thing. It was a, uh, a star-crust love affair that was impossible from the get-go. And they comment on how utterly useless all this was because the military secrets they got will be out of date in a week or so. Unless, you know, you know, at least the, uh, the Federation now has cloaking technology because they can obviously uh, uh, back-engineer this device and uh, figure out all its secrets and, uh, you know, be able to cloak their own ships now. Yep, that'll come up later, I'm sure. McCoy reminds Kirk to come back to sickbay because he forgot he still has Romulan ears. Mm-hmm. Gotta get those ears docked. Spock thinks that humans look bad in Vulcan ears. McCoy goes, you want to look like an ugly Vulcan forever? Ah, 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 ah. <clears throat> the end. <laughs> so I, I know we poked a, f- a fair bit of fun at it, but uh, you know, as I said, you know, before, you know, this is definitely a more solid episode than the previous one by far. Um, but still, only kind of okay, you know. Yeah, it's more solid. Yeah, you know, there are some things that once again was mentioned. They are you know don't quite fit well with the rest of the continuity. Like suddenly we're just able to beam back and forth here, and they don't really notice. I guess. Uh, you know, like, I guess no one has their shields up or that doesn't work this week, so. Well, there's, there's all the plot holy stuff, which, like, that's nitpicky. Who cares? Yeah, that's it's, it's not really important here, so. The main things are, like, they, they're very obviously setting up a he's pretending to be mean and crazy, but, like, they don't really, even once they explain it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and so the first half of the episode is just you going, what in the world is going on? None of this makes any sense. Well, uh, maybe there is uh, some paranoia that maybe somebody on the Enterprise was spying for the Romulans. Mm-hmm. That was last but episode they, with yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they don't really like mention that at all in this episode. But maybe, I guess, if you saw the first one, you might be thinking about that. Well, the entire <laughs> justification they have is like, because Kirk acts all crazy, when they get caught, it's going to be his fault. And they aren't going to know that it's like an officially sanctioned Federation spy mission. Oh, well, what's the the uh, the term for it? Uh, you know, where, where basically it's like, yeah, we don't know what's going on with this person. We're going to uh, uh, not not disclose, but uh, oh, uh, help me out here if you can. Um, I don't know. It's like disown. 
Effectively, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a term, but I can't remember the actual one. I'm going to have to look this up now. Uh, get, go ahead. <laughs> the, like, the, the entire first half of the episode, I'm like, I know where they're going with this, but like none of this makes any sense the way they're showing it. It's just stupid. And then after they set up all this, everything is just like, well, we got that. That was easy. We did that. That was easy. We rescued him. That was easy. Every single thing they set up as a problem is just like, oh, but that's done. Solved now. Yeah, it, it very much sort of falls into place in a very clean fashion. And then overall, it's just dull. I don't know. Like, yeah, as far as the episode goes, I'm not really trying to just review the episode, but there's not a lot in here. It's just kind of, they set up, we're getting on board the ship, they do a seducy, sexy thing, and then they get off the ship. So it's very much, I guess, in a very uh, sort of traditional spy thriller sort of vibe what they're going for here without much more on top of it. So apparently this is loosely based on something that had happened earlier in the year as of when this show aired. is a uh, something called the Pueblo Incident, which Pueblo is incident. when a environmental research ship that may or may not have been conscripted as a spy ship was captured by North Korea. And uh, remember, this is a Vietnam War era, but Korea was still still technically at war. We're still technically fighting that war, just to cease fired. I, we, when did that end? Like last year? Two years ago? <laughs> I, I don't think it's technically over either. <laughs> but anywho. I thought they finally declared something, but I don't know. Well, there's, there's various levels of we're now friends, and it depends on who you're, who, which, which countries you're talking about specifically. Yeah, so this was this ship being was captured and the crew one of the crew members was was killed during the capture and the rest of the crew was held for several months in North Korea before being traded back to the US. And that's kind of the the supposedly loose basis for the writing of this episode, which is interesting because this incident happened in January of nineteen sixty eight. And this show came out in September of 1968. Yeah, so a pretty quick turnaround there. Also, apparently Roddenberry tried to make Spock make out with the Romulan commander, and Leonard Nimoy said no. Spock's a lot of things, but he's, he's not that physical. We'll keep it to the weird finger-touching for now. Apparently the original script said, raining kisses on every square inch above the shoulder. Because, you know, you know 60s TV has to be above the shoulder, but still, that'd be a little much, even you know, if it wasn't a emotionally uh, limited uh, uh, species like a, Vul a Vulcan. There, yeah, I still can't find that term. <laughs> oh well. This whole episode is obviously a nod to Soviet-era counterintelligence, intelligence, and counterintelligence gathering operations. Various sort of schemes in order to get people to either. Uh, you know, willingly or unwillingly reveal uh, secrets, materials, designs, plans, uh, or whatever. Uh, sometimes running off with entire pieces of equipment so you can study them back at home. And I'm really not sure. I'm not sure if this is something that ever actually happened, if it's something left over from some of the World War II ideas. Every time they do one of these, I guess it might be for narrative stakes. Uh, it's we have to steal a super weapon and then bring it back so we can learn how it works and it won't be a super weapon anymore. They have an edge and we're trying to eliminate that edge in some fashion. 
either by having it ourselves or having a uh, means to counteract it. I guess it's just for TV. As far as I understand it, most of the like military secrets that were going back and forth during basically any operation, but especially something like the Cold War, was like, oh, they moved this boat from this dock to that dock. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yep, that's that now. Yep. <laughs> well, I guess they know where that boat's at. <laughs> for a while, it was like, who's going to develop nuclear technology first and who can drop bombs and missiles on whom, but... By this point, we all had ICBMs. Yeah, you know, you know in the, the when we covered, uh, you know, assignment Earth, there, uh, you know, I talked a bit about you know rockets and ranges and things like that. And this, at this point, uh, you know, most of the planet could be hit by these things. So, eh. Yeah, that's basically just. Yeah, that's that's it. You do. Um, that's all. Yeah, though I guess to a certain extent. Uh, yeah, espionage was sort of, I guess, moving towards the direction of, well, we're sort of fighting these proxy wars here, so having some information on uh, those particular conflicts so we can get an edge and, you know, you know, all these small-scale fights where there isn't, you know, atomic bombs flying everywhere, we can get our edge and then maybe, you know, push the other side just far enough to be, you know, not in contention over the territory anymore. Yes, it was a lot closer to that Klingon episode. <laughs> It's just, oh, well, we're having a proxy war that we need to that we need to deal with. Not, we need to sneak in and steal your newest super technology. Interestingly, this also almost reminds me of just the plot of, uh, of Hunt for Red October, which is basically the same setup, except that there's yep. a defector <laughs> in that one. This is just, this is the thing that they love, is we have a super, a super weapon and we need to go steal it so we can, you know figure out your super weapon and render it inert yep. <laughs> also notice how in all of these stories i mean obviously because they are american the americans are the good guys who come in and do the spying but like the americans are have to stop this underhanded thing you have to come in and find this stealth technology that like i mean what's that for they're just sneaking they're sneaking around and we have to find their thing that's letting them sneak because they're sneaky let's so uh so let's go sneak around and uh, get it. Yeah, well, we only have to sneak in, like, a good, upstanding kind of spy way. They're trying to, like, you know, stealth ship something, which is evil and first strikey. Uh, we would never do that. This is this is yeah. something that the bad people do. They're being all sneak, sneaky, sneaky. We're upstanding and out in the open with our stuff. You can trust trust us. And we're going to go right into your territory with our, our big uh, uh, warship here. And uh, you're going to catch us doing it. So you totally know exactly what we're doing the whole time, right? So anyway, there might be some ethical issues here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a weird, it's a difficult one to talk about from any kind of ethical perspective because, of course, there's some ethical issues. It's supposed to be like a secret military mission. And it's a secret military mission versus a, other sort of secret military thing. Uh, and, you know, maybe, you know, the you know question is, you know... Uh, you know, you know, you know, it, we're, we're, you know, this is, as I said, you know, this is very much being framed as this is okay on this side when we do it, but not when they do it on their side sort of thing. But, you know, is there maybe, uh, you know, you, you know, th since these are sort of behaviors that are going to be present on both sides, uh, you know, the, you know, what is the most ethical way to conduct ourselves that will minimize the chance for, damage on on you know you know everyone's side so that we can avoid conflict you know in the more mil direct military sense it's not even as much an ethical 
thing in that there's something interesting in the sacrifice side of things where like you you go into these military mission things and you show that the hero of your story is heroic and self-sacrificing and things and you're willing to go in and sacrifice your life for the good cause but something with these is kind of has a weird other tinge to it because it's not only is he willing to sacrifice his life to show how great and good his cause is for the greater good of the nation but he's also willing to sacrifice his reputation because Mm -hmm. that will just protect the government and it's good that he's willing to do that to protect the government because that's how you have to maintain your secrets and stuff so the individual should sacrifice their reputation and life so that the government can do something underhanded and sneaky Hmm. so it's a very much a um maybe not a uh a I'm trying not to say the F word here. <laughs> well, you're just surrendering yourself totally to the power of the state uh, to serve the fatherland and all that sort of nonsense. But it, it yeah. I mean, they have a point given the scenario that's being set up that it's better to sacrifice one individual than have a war that's going to kill thousands of people. Mm-hmm. But the way that they set up these things is kind of interesting to me because, uh, especially after the Cold War, when spy narratives became very popular, the things that spies do are immoral. But we're only kind of recently getting to that. Like our current trend of talking about like spying and military and stuff is to take a more gritty, realistic angle that I don't think people are, I don't think we're doing it well, but it's an interesting other take on it. And like, yeah, Here's a bunch of immoral stuff that you have to do to hopefully prevent worse stuff later. During this era, it's not really shown as immoral. It's shown as you have to do this immoral stuff, but isn't that great and heroic? And it's just the best, really, if you think about it. Sort of the James Bond narrative of it. Yeah, James Bond is doing a bunch of horrible things that are like flat out. So cool at it, man. Internationally illegal. But they made it like that. Like the entire James Bond double O idea is that he has a government license to kill people, so it's fine. Yeah, you know, he could kill anybody he likes, and it's you know, he's never going to get uh, trouble with his own people. We're not going to get into that thing because we're not talking. We are not reviewing a Bond movie. There's always Moonraker. But you know, that's the it's an in, very interesting discussion to be had there on state-sanctioned violence. And uh, we've talked a little bit about state-sanctioned violence before as well. But uh, this is like, different context. Like espionage is a very odd one because this is something that they've shown. Like if you, they said like if they if the Romulans had done this, they would have responded in the same way. This was a point that was made by the commander at one at one time. And if you acted this way towards anyone in your own government, it would be horrible. So, like, the, the thing that is protecting you from violence is citizenship in a particular nation state. Like, it's okay to do this to people who are not, you know, in the Federation in this case. If you're not part of the Federation and you're a threat to the Federation, we can do whatever. If you're in the Federation, you're part of the Federation, it would be wrong if we did this. But since the Romulans aren't part of it, we can do whatever we want. This is kind of a fundamental difference with how we deal with stuff later on. If you look at the 90s, 90s Star Trek, where 
it's framed as wrong. A lot of people talk about this as their favorite episode. Uh, I don't know if I completely agree, but that's a different discussion. But uh, what is the in the pale moonlight? I believe. Yes, uh, that's uh, the one where uh, uh, Cisco uh, turns to someone who is a little bit more underhanded about things and sets off a series of events in order to actually get the Romulans to join the war against the Dominion. And in the process, there's people have their, uh, you, know, you know, are convinced not to press charges against uh, people who commit crimes. Uh, someone straight up murdered. Uh, actually, several people technically. Uh, and other sort of not so good ethical thing and uh, immoral things are done uh, all for the cause of uh, bringing in a potential ally to fight on their side so they don't lose the war. And that is the much later way of looking at it that we do now, which is this is immoral. Everything that was done is framed as wrong, but it's maybe justifiable because of the other goods or other wrongs that it prevented. Yeah, it's very much Cisco's like, yeah, this is my confession, but as guilty as I will live with, have, you know, it'll be about this for my entire life. It is, you know, he basically you know, looks at the camera and says, you know, this is guilt that I can live with. And then he's like, I'm going to delete this log now. Bye. Spoilers. <laughs> I don't think that's my personal favorite, like, Star Trek episode. I guess just because I got idealistic in my 90s Star Trek. Because when you have this episode, which says, you know, this kind of int political intrigue and stuff is completely right and justifiable no matter what. And then you have much later stuff like DS9, where it's like, this kind of stuff is immoral, but maybe it's justifiable, and that's the larger discussion we're trying to have about it. When you hit the middle of the 90s with uh, Next Generation, when everything's peachy and we think we've achieved world peace and we fixed racism and all that stuff that I was taught in school growing up, there, it's like, this is wrong no matter who does it. We see the Federation's adversaries are doing it. They're all involved in counterintelligence and underhanded stuff. We are above that. They don't spy. They, like, sometimes go in. Anytime they try to spy in Next Generation, they have a few episodes where they try to do subterfuge and they have to sneak someone in. They are always caught. And it is always framed that they shouldn't have done it in the first place. It's like, yeah, we were trying to do a thing, but uh, it was all because, you know, you know, we are we're maybe not very competent at this, or even if we are super competent, uh, you know, it's, you know, sort of one of those inevitable, you know, we probably shouldn't have been doing this anyway, and so this causes all these uh, consequences, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, we have to, you know, face, you have to face up to what we did in a, uh, you know, very direct fashion, even if that, uh, you know, the... The, the counter to that is, you know, also horrible in its own way. It's like, I guess that's why I've always had kind of my next generation over DS9 thing, because this is a hill I'm going to die on. Go for it's, it. It is harder narratively to have, we have a very idealistic society that we are framing here, and it's hard to stick to these moral things, but we're going to do it no matter how hard it is or how many problems it causes, because that's what we're doing. And there's something good in that message to say, like, this is wrong and we're not going to do it for no other reason than it's wrong, even though that might cause more problems for some people. And yeah, that's not as realistic, but that's why it's science fiction. Yeah, and uh, sometimes science fiction is about pushing us towards a better world 
you know, that might not seem realistic as things are right now. And, you know, we could, you know, it's maybe really hard to sort of conceptualize that we could change our behavior as a society to get there. But it is still something to aspire to. That's why I never personally liked dark, gritty science fiction, because why am I watching science fiction if it's just now, but with a flying car instead? Because flying cars are cool, man. <laughs> but anyway, I think it's just an interesting con. You have the three contrasts. You have. Like, subterfuge is always okay because America is great and it's good when we do it. We will stand at our moral superiority even if it kills us. And subterfuge is bad, probably, but it might have some place in modern society. We don't know. Maybe, sort of. The uh, well, I guess one of the things that DS9 was kind of starting to do near the end was actually maybe sort of a reaction to some of their own sort of dabbling in that gray morality that, you know, it's like, okay, we got this section 31 thing, which a lot of people really don't like. Cause like, this is very much not Star Trek this is not Federation stuff. And by sort of like circling this, it's like, there is this element here that in universe people are unhappy with. Mm. And maybe it's time to start fighting back against that element and then getting us back to those ideals again. They didn't really get to the end of that uh, that road, but it was sort of being started there. No, and I don't know. I person <laughs> I understand that I personally don't like the gray more na- morality narratives as well. They're harder to pull off mm-hmm. in some ways. I do think as a drama series, it Next Gen was doing some slightly more difficult things with its writing because it's easier to write drama if you're dealing gray morality, dark future sci-fi. But that's like another discussion. But uh, I guess one thing I sort of wanted to sort of poke at a little bit here is that, you know, if you're, if you're going back into sort of more of a the consequences sort of, uh, of uh, framing of uh, espionage in total, that if you are in a situation where you are actively engaging in espionage and independent of if the other side is, the act, the, 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 the active measures of that, of that especially if you're, if it's very, obvious to say third parties does in the long run degrade your credibility with everybody uh friend and foe because then it's like oh all right so they get they're sort of justifying this stuff in this particular situation can we really trust them to not continue to justify that when they're dealing with us in a different context um and so i i'd argue that espionage in the long run is actually going to be something that is counterproductive towards building a uh, peaceful, more peaceful world. Well, that was something that came out a few years ago when some stuff leaked and it's like, oh yeah, the US as a instit- as like our our intelligence institutions have been spying on all of our NATO allies. Yep. <laughs> Surprise friends. Uh um never mind. Well, uh, look over there. Yeah, um hmm. Yeah, well, let's uh, try to come, move on to the next uh, bit of the news here, and hopefully their diplomats don't keep asking about this here. Um, we're friends, right? Which is the thing. Like, and then, of course, they're spying on the U.S., everyone's spying on everyone, but it is kind of a... It's a mistrust idea that, interestingly, it just reminded me of Bitcoin in a roundabout way. Oh? So there's a design philosophy that's entering a lot of kind of cryptography and computer science right now 
which is no trust networks. So like a lot of the stuff we have we have now is like I connect my computer to the internet. I basically trust that the service provider I'm paying to connect me to the internet is doing a bunch of stuff to protect me. Because if I, you know, by putting my computer on the internet, I'm putting myself in a very vulnerable position. People can get to the stuff that's on my computer. So I trust that the service provider I have, the websites that I'm visiting, there's just a lot of stuff in place that other people are doing to make that more difficult. Yes, you know, you're not going to make you an open door to your hard drive here. You're going to have some uh, protocols in place in order to, you know, make that uh, at least difficult, if not impossible. So that's like your peer-to-peer stuff. You have to have a trusted network of people that you're connecting to is the kind of uh, computer security way of looking at it. Uh, something like Bitcoin and blockchain ideas are moving towards something that they're calling like a no-trust scenario where like you don't have to trust anyone when you're doing like a straight peer-to-peer bitcoin connection because that's all handled by something else that is supposed to be infallible the whole blockchain thing is that it's keeping track of all these records for you using very complicated cryptography that's impossible to break so you don't have to trust anyone like it's all handled by this other stuff until they get a quantum computer handy, then then you're screwed. Yeah. But that's part <laughs> of the problem is you know, we're trying to create layers and layers and layers of things like this so that you never have to trust anyone because we've entered a realm of thinking where like everyone is untrustworthy. If you give someone an inch, they're going to take everything. So we have to create these very complicated systems that eliminate the need for trust. But by doing that you just get into sort of this arms race thing it's never going to fully work out instead of just looking at it and going so why can't we trust anyone what's creating this situation and is there a way that we can change it so that we can trust people again yeah that'll be the uh, maybe the more constructive way forward but until we you know figure out that you know the answer to that question this arms race will continue and uh, it's going to become exceedingly difficult in the long run to keep it up but people will still push for it because there is still uh, a, a, a financial incentive on, in some ways and you know, other incentives in other ways to sort of protect themselves uh, from um, uh, you know, being uh, abused by you know, having at least any sort of trust. If you're thinking about it in a no-trust way, we've gotten into this who-puts-their-gun-down-first scenario. Yes. So if, like, if, for example, the United States said, we're going to stop all foreign intelligence operations, everyone would see that as putting it into you in an incredibly vulnerable, stupid position. Whether or not that's true, I don't know enough about international policy to say 100% either direction, but it would be seen as like, well, you basically just left yourself wide open for whatever. Yeah, that uh, If you had a way to uh, perfectly isolate your nation from the rest of the world after doing that, uh, basically having a giant force field come down and protect you, that is maybe an acceptable way as far as, you know, you know, not being, you know, then directly, uh, you know, uh, uh, vulnerable to everyone else's intelligence networks, uh, you know, you know, coming in and uh, basically doing whatever they like uh, because you don't have any means to sort of stiff out their, you know, their, their intelligent networks in your nation by stiffing out how theirs works on in their country. Uh, you know, but, 
that's not really a thing that's doable at this point. So yeah, there's a very much a, you know, you're kind of, you you are by not having the intelligence on everyone else, you are not going to be able to counteract their activities in your own nation. And we do have a lot of stuff where we still have weird international incentive structures where you need this stuff because, you know, if we stopped, if the U.S. stopped gathering intelligence, then a foreign power would come in and manipulate stuff for their own agenda because you were still in very direct international competition for resources. Uh, so, so some of my background uh, has had us, uh, you know, had me and you know, people uh, you know, in similar positions uh, actually have some counterintelligence sort of training uh, you know, as part of our general, this is how you, you, know, you know, do stuff here. Uh, and some of it was very, you know, uh, basically they told us a bunch of stories about here is something that happened and here is sort of the best way to do about it. But these are also certain things that we can't really stop because it would basically require us to completely up under society or change uh, how we interact with the world in general. Um, but uh, you know the and so, but it is is important to be aware that this is what's going on and sort of act accordingly. And if we get more information about this, this these sorts of things, we can sort of change. You know, we'll we'll let you know, and then you can change your your behavior accordingly to that as well. Um, you know, some of them were kind of like, okay, that's little blatant isn't it <laughs> uh like you know uh some science conferences uh there'd be like this one guy that would go to all the talks by people that are working at this particular lab and it was just really weird because nobody had ever heard of this guy you know trying to interact with him wasn't really going anywhere but uh, you know one of the uh, presenters kind of caught on to this and uh had like in middle of his presentation of this guy sort of taking lots of notes and you know, just sort of being kind of shifty, a big slide uh, written in Chinese, like, hello, Mr. Spy. I uh, hope you're having a good day at the my talk. <laughs> and because uh, this guy was from China and he was very obviously a Chinese intelligence agent trying to get information on the research that these particular people were doing, uh, you know, for whatever agency they got going on there. Um, but yeah, and, and these are sort of very uh, blatant and obvious and because this is a public conference and a, and a uh, you know, just anyone can sh- show up, it's international uh, interactions with this conference, uh, a whole deal. So it's very, we're here to share our knowledge, but, you know, they're, this is their, them doing their footwork so that they have the basics for understanding uh, stuff they might be getting, uh, you know, you know, in, you know intelligence on, uh, uh, on in a, uh, in another math, uh, another sort of direction here. So in order to understand the hard stuff that is being kept secret, we need to, Basically, have the uh, the no- notes on everything that you are publishing publicly. Now, oh, what's another good story? If you want me to tell one, <laughs> there was a story about the uh, the uh, the drug cartel, the uh, trying to get vehicles. That's an interesting one, <laughs> but that was a little bit more obviously illegal. <laughs> uh, basically, they threatened somebody. He's like, you know, it'd be a real shame if something happens to you. Also, we need like thirty jeeps. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty more blatantly illegal. <laughs> yes. We hear you uh, have access to the motor pearl over there. Hmm. Yeah. Then like, oh yeah, I'll see what I could do. And then it's 10 seconds after they're like out of danger, like, hey, security people, I got an issue. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is exactly what you should be doing if something like that happens. Because sometimes, uh, you know, various groups, be the government or not, will be very obvious about what they're trying to do. And, uh, you know, if you are, uh, you know, sort of tossing these situations, uh, you need to be 
uh, at least cognizant of what the right thing to do is in these sort of situations, and usually is to ask for help. So it's very sad. With the uh, this is a much wider discussion we probably don't have time for. It's very sad that you have to use public science sharing conferences for this kind of thing, and it really gets into your like competition versus cooperation models. So if everyone's competing and sees everyone else's enemies, then you have to gather all this knowledge in order to use it for yourself and do all kinds of shady stuff instead of everyone just shares everything and we can collaborate and make even better stuff faster. Uh, I'm very much in the, you know, in the pro let's be cooperative, not in competition here as far as science is concerned. Um, but unfortunately the world kind of sucks in a lot of ways and we have to sort of you know, a bend over backwards in order to like, okay, I guess we have to do this thing. <sighs> that's the thing. If we bring it back around just for a minute to like, that's always been my problem with the gritty future sci-fi is just this idea that even though it looks like society might have improved, it actually didn't. And then your choices mm -hmm. are either we're never ever going to address fundamental structural problems in society that are creating this issues, or we have to believe that it's some weird inherent thing in humanity that's never going to change no matter what high-minded ideals you try to do stupid mm, you know I, in my sci-fi i try to you know either you know uh, you know dodge the question entirely which isn't really a good thing to do <laughs> uh, or uh, to have a society that's at least in some way different maybe not all the way to the end of that path but definitely progressing in some fashion um, just so i don't sort of fall in that trap over and over again and sometimes, sometimes I like to have it as sort of a surprise. It's like, wait, you thought we were still doing this? No, that's not what we're doing at all. We're, <laughs> you know, when we say this, we don't actually mean we're going to like go to this place and murder everyone. Or yeah, we might be space pirates, but we're only going to like take a few of their things and like still let them have enough food to survive. We're not monsters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we might be the worst and most evilest pirates out here, but we're only kind of mildly evil. <laughs> Sounds like we've plumbed this pretty well for a reminder we were talking about romulans <laughs> and now we're on space pirates <laughs> this is what happens when the episode doesn't give us anything i mean yay we get a chance to talk about international espionage for 20 minutes but yeah <laughs> hmm well that's kind of most of the stuff i had to talk about uh, i could try to dig back to my head about other stories I, you know, they, they sort of shared with us, but I probably shouldn't. Uh, it's <laughs> probably just time for the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show. Uh, various contestants have tallied up a number of points here. Some of them have answered some questions, others have done physical challenges, I'm looking at you, Kirk, and others, well, we're not going to say what they did because it was kind of squeaky. Anyway, our first award for uh, the contestants today for their high scores is the Teaching Aliens How to Love Award, which goes to the Romulan Commander for showing Spock the joys of finger sex. What does she win, Gepwin? Spock and the Romulan Commander win gloves. You always want to have your box of latex gloves. For your safe finger sex. Hmm. Very, very wise, Gepwin. Uh, you know, hopefully they're uh, they're not going to be regretting this down the uh, the road here. Hmm. Our second award is the Cat Burglar Award, which goes to Kirk for sneaking about and stealing himself a cloaking device 
that's some good uh, good thievery there, Kirk. What does he win, Gepwood? Kirk and the Enterprise generally just need to get the, themselves the Ocean's Eleven-style team. Think they just win? They win a mastermind and a thief and a hacker and the cat burglar and the acrobat because the this is like the seventh time we've done this, and I want to see an Ocean's Eleven-style team robbery. That would be glorious. Hmm. You know, something like that happens at least once in Doctor Who. The holodeck doesn't count, <laughs> DS9 fans. <laughs> oh, I remember that episode. It was a fun episode. Um, our, our third award is the Clark Kent Disguise Award, which goes to McCoy specifically, not Kirk, for giving Kirk one of these. Yep, you just slap on some ears and some eyebrows, and yeah, he's he's going to blend with all his romulans perfectly. What does he would get one? McCoy wins just a set of glasses because it's easier next time with the added option of a large plastic nose and mustache. <laughs> I was thinking that the moment you said glasses. <laughs> oh. ah, that's all the awards we got for this week, Gepwin. Uh I hope you, uh, I hope maybe, so, uh, you know, we, we've given out some awards that will really help these folks out and uh, and maybe they'll, uh, wait, wait, we're, we're in all, where's next week's uh, prizes? they the, the storeroom's been emptied. Someone, someone espionage does get one. Oh, no. Oh, no. At least our contestants this week got their prizes, and we'll figure it out for next time. So thank you all for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Woo! So, Gepwin, uh, did, did Spock steal your heart? Yes. Spock has always stolen my heart. So he, his brain got stolen. Your heart's been stolen. So that means you got to steal somebody's courage. Who gets a diploma? <laughs> well, you know, you would technically. <laughs> but you have to steal it for somebody else. Well, next week, I, I feel like they're just playing Mad Libs with the episode titles at this point. A little bit. We've had both of these in different things. We've had... We've had syndrome episodes and we've had paradise episodes. Yes, uh, the immunity syndrome and uh, paradise, uh, the side of paradise. But but now they're together at last. Yes, now we have the paradise syndrome. <laughs> is, is this? Are we going to get like sick and it's going to be very blissful? No, this ticked me off because in the episode they talk about it being the Tahiti syndrome. They specifically say the Tahiti syndrome. This is Tahiti syndrome. And then they named the episode Paradise Syndrome. Uh, maybe Tahiti is paradise for the writers? Yeah, but the, if you're going to name drop it, put the name in. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> anyway, this is the racist Indian episode. Oh boy. Oh boy. And, and, and not the, the, the same kind of racist Indian uh, episode as the, uh, the Mega Glory, but much worse. Oh yeah, very much worse. Just like, hey, mm. look. There's Native Americans on this planet. Let's go be superior white people at them. They live so simply and in one with nature. So much great da -da 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 mystic mumbo jumbo. God damn it, Star Trek. <laughs> Why do they do this? They have one of these in every series. Why do they love this so much? Even I Next Generation know. has a Native American planet episode. Yeah. And it's one of the worst ones. They don't even resolve it. <laughs> Okay, we're just going to leave here now. Bye. Wesley's <laughs> gone. Shooting each That's other. all. It's fine. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind the war happening. 
you know, you know, the, the, the story was really about him and not this, you know, massive conflict that can, you know, have consequences going forward. And, and at least a couple different Star Trek series. Not at all. Uh, yep. Anyway, I don't know why they keep doing this. And it's horrible. It's awful. It's the worst. I'm watching ahead for scheduling reasons. And I just finished writing this one. And it's just the worst. I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, I'll be watching it soon. I would watch Spock's brain like five times rather than more of this. Like, at least Spock's brain is just badly made. You know, as a plot, someone takes the brain, we'd find the brain. I, it's fine. Like, it's simple. It's to the point. Like, the editing is bad. It's made too cheaply. But, like, this, 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 like, let's just pile negative stereotype on top of bad message all wrapped up in normal colonialist racism. But you'll find out more about that next time. <laughs> Join us next time when we're disappointed in the state of humanity on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, even aliens are jerks to Native Americans. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.